Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. and 84th episode of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. Not joining us tonight from across the Harpeth River, the coach is out at a banquet, so it's just me and a man who can sell a joke almost as well as Izzy Gutierrez. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Ah, yes. Good man, Izzy. He's got to become the permanent host of HQ, right? I hope so. He th- I mean, Mina Kimes is phenomenal also. We have a, a lot of things to talk about tonight. We will get to our uh, all illegal motion teams and bowl game previews starting next week. Before then, though, we've got some more football and some coaching carousel movement. So we will start with the biggest news of the week, quite frankly, and that is Coach Urban Meyer, quote-unquote, retiring from Ohio State. Ryan Day will take his place. Josh, you are our Big Ten insider and have uh, opinions, shall we say, on Mr. Meyer. That's right, Matt. I do have opinions, and they're almost always perfect, right? Have I ever been wrong about anything? Not in the almost 20 years I've known you. And, Josh, it is almost 20 years now. It's kind That's of- ridiculous. Oh, my God. Uh, so here's the thing with Urban Meyer is – this is his MO. He did the same thing at Florida. He got out of town right as the program was crumbling. They had tons and tons of arrests. Uh, it just didn't go well. And Florida's just now getting out of that hole. Ohio State might not be as big of a situation in terms of the hole he's leaving the program in because Brian Day was so willing to take the job. But there's so much smoke there. I mean, he lied to the media about knowing an assistant was committing to acts of domestic violence. So how do you reconcile this? Um, there's a conspiracy theory, if you want to call it that, or, or idea behind the scenes that this was the compromise, that he resigns at the end of the year. So Ohio State saves face from firing him. He gets to go out on what seems like his own note. The bottom line is Ohio State did the wrong thing in this situation. Um, I'm quite pleased Ohio State did not make the playoffs. Um, It's a shame for what is one of the few programs that has historically done the right things, but when you were in major college football, it's probably not done the right thing all the time. No. This one was just... This one was just disgusting. I, I think there's a big difference between letting your kids get tattoos and sell their dumb golden pants that they get for beating the rival versus attempting to cover up criminality by your coaching staff. It is very different. And I know that there is some sort of arcane letter of the law passed, not even by the legal system, but by the NCAA about not letting you know, students basically profit off, student athletes profit off of anything they do that profits the university. Uh, so, and it just, it seems like the way that they treated Trestle and the million of chances that they gave Urban Meyer are just in such stark contrast to each other. That's why it's, it, I don't know. I don't know how Urban keeps, I don't want to say getting away with it, but he is, you know, uh, I feel like it feels like at this point that he is almost, and I, it's very difficult to accuse a person of this because you never know unless you are their physician or a family member, but it feels like he uses his medical issues as a crutch to hide behind uh, mixing my metaphors there, <laughs> but uh, as something to hide behind when he feels the heat coming to, to him. Yeah. Well, I mean, looking back on stuff, it's got to be pretty freaking coincidental that he retired, quote-unquote retired, from Florida 
in 2010. So that was his last season. Well, that was Jim Trestle's last season at Ohio State. Now, I know Ohio State wasn't planning to fire him before the 2011 season. No. But it sure as hell was a lot easier to fire him when one of the best coaches is sitting out there ready to go to his dream job at Ohio State. And you know what? God rest his soul, Bino Cook called this like nine months in advance before anyone else had it. So, yeah. I mean, look, assuming Urban Meyer never gets another job, which who knows? He is leaving his dream job. Um, Maybe it's sincere this time, but regardless of if he ever coaches again, he was a phenomenal X's and O's coach that he, he, I don't know if he's second to anybody in this current crop, even Nick Saban, because he coached pretty damn well against Nick Saban um, throughout their tenure. And so Urban Meyer really, he might not have the rings of Saban, but he's got what? He's got three rings. He's got three. He's got three at two different schools. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is nothing to sneeze at. Nope. That puts him behind who in the modern era of college football? Bear Bryant, Nick Saban, anyone else? Uh, Joe Paterno. I mean, mean, this might be blasphemy to a lot of Alabama fans, but I'm not sure you can even count Bear Bryant in modern football. I mean, it's so far past when when large chunks of your career are before the sport's been integrated. Can you really be considered a modern coach? Very true. Very true. Um, so, I mean, yeah, title-wise, he's second to just Nick Saban. Mm-hmm. Um, but head-to-head, he did really well against Nick Saban, and he's coached fewer years than Nick Saban. And, you know, he, he was at Florida 05 to 2010, two titles in just six years. Mm-hmm. Um, at Ohio State, took them to the playoffs, won – title took them to another playoffs they obviously lost but i mean that's a one hell of a run so i think x's and o's wise he's 1a 1b with saban and you can make competent arguments that he might even be better than nick saban in many ways coaching wise uh saban's probably the better recruiter uh saban probably runs a more efficient program in that as nick as um Urban Meyer's assistants really gone on to anything? I mean, it, it seems kind of like a one-man show with Urban. I mean, you can't even call Luke Fickle one of his assistants because he was there with Trestle, and he was the interim yeah. after Trestle uh, was dismissed. Um, so, I mean, he's had he's Chris, the most Hash. Successful. Mm-hmm. Chris Hash. Chris Hash hasn't gone well. No. Uh, I mean, half the SEC is former Saban people. Yeah. Um. Who else was with, you know, Urban Meyer? Like, I don't know. It's his coaching. Off the top of my, he- the top of my head. No. Uh, I mean, his, his uh, coach. Uh, Charlie Strong down in Florida. Yeah. I mean, Strong. Um, I mean, it's about, it's really about it. If you kind of think about it, I mean. I could pop it up for you. Here's the whole list without me going off the top of my head. Steve Adazio, Gary Anderson, Chris Ash, Tim Beckman. He got fired for abusing kids at Illinois, just FYI. Uh, Greg Brandon, who got fired at Bowling Green. Uh, DJ Durkin, who um, got fired for having a kid die. Uh, Luke Fickle, Tom Herman, who, I mean. We talked enough about Tom Herman on this show. Uh, Doc Holliday might be his best coach. Uh, Brian Knorr at Ohio. Uh, Dan Mullen. That, I mean, Dan Mullen's up there. Dan Mullen, okay. Charlie Strong. Okay. I'm Herman. Okay. Uh, Shiano. Uh, can you really call him part of his coaching tree just because he happened to be, be under him after he had already been um, a head coach like 15 years before Urban was? Like... I know. Yeah, well, it's funny. This list includes Dan McCartney. Uh Dan McCartney was the all-time winner putting his coach at Iowa state before he joined the Florida staff. So, but yeah. So anyway, full circle. What I was trying to get back to is uh, I'm not trying to take away anything from urban Meyer's coaching acumen. When, before I say the statement, which is he 
is second to potentially none X's and O's wise. Trash human being. I mean, let's be honest. Let Florida run rampant. Um, That's being generous. Tons and tons of arrests on that team. Um, it, you can say in many ways it enabled a lot of those players, and the ultimate one had to have been Aaron Hernandez. Yeah. And, and it's obviously such a just a tragic story all the way around. And at Ohio State, I mean, enabled – Zach Smith at the very least. Who knows what other things are going to come out in the fray afterwards. And, I mean, you can say that it's not a coach's fault, but, like, Tom Osborne showed immense, like, um, raw emotions about if he had done the right thing for uh, Brandon Phillips, right? The Nebraska running back that also had a lot of prison time. And, you know, Tom Osborne suspended him routinely and kept bringing him back to the fold. And, you know, Osborne was like, what do I do if I cut him loose? He's loose on society. Football is the only thing giving him structure. But, like, Tom Osborne, to this day when you bring it up, you could see it's just it eats at him because he doesn't know if he did the right thing. I don't think Irvin Meyer gives a flying you-know-what mm-hmm. about what he did with Aaron Hernandez at Florida. I think he's thinking, well, I got two national titles. Piss on you. Stop telling me about stuff. Yeah. So. Well, let's talk then about the the 38, 30, I should say 39-year-old Ryan Day, who is taking over for him. He went 3-0 in the first three games of the season, and Josh, uh, those were uh, – Three, I don't, they weren't the first two were not impressive wins. They beat Oregon State and Rucker, let's face it. But they handled their business down uh, playing TCU, and TCU was still ranked 15th in the country before mm-hmm. we realized that they were an absolute dumpster fire this year. Yeah. So, frankly, I don't know that much about him. No, and I don't think anyone does. He, you know, he's got that pedigree of was a quarterback in an Urban Meyer coach. No, he's got the competitor <laughs> play quarterback for Chip Kelly in New Hampshire. Yeah. That's where I was going to go. So he's got the Chip Kelly connection there. Mm-hmm. Um, From Manchester, New Hampshire. Yeah. He obviously wants to do Chip Kelly type things on offense. And we saw that with uh, some of those people like to be dismissive and call it dink and dunk throws. I think it's take what the defense is getting, giving you and letting your superior athletes have open space to run. I think that's just good scheming. But, yeah, I mean, they took advantage of what Michigan was giving them, throwing the short passes. They get their speedsters room to operate. That's what they're going to try and do. So you could kind of tell the offensive game plan that they're going to have. They're going to kind of be like Purdue but with superior athletes. Now, it's one thing to have an offensive identity. It's another thing to – frankly know how you are going to recruit for the Ohio state. I mean, that is a national recruiting play and that's not head on down to the, <laughs> the best schools in Ohio and cherry pick the kids. That is also trying to get the cream of the crop in California, trying to get the cream of the crop in Texas, trying to get the cream of the crop in Florida. I mean, yeah, Ohio, oh, the state of Ohio fills in a lot of their roster, but that's a national recruiting blueprint. So how does Day go against what Mullins is building in Florida? And so I, I think what Coach would say is it, he's going to have to rely on relationships that he already has. And, you know, I don't know how many of those he has. He spent a couple of years in the NFL as a quarterback's coach, 25, mm-hmm. sorry, 2015 and 2016. And, you know, before that he was a position coach. And obviously he spent uh-huh. a lot of time recruiting, uh, especially uh, in his two different stints at BC. But, you know, I still, you know, we, we still, he's still a very much of an unknown. Yeah. And I mean, I think Ohio State is hoping that they can keep the staff together. Garciano can help guide some things. But do you really want yeah, Garciano guiding things? Uh, well, that's the problem. They also have uh, Kevin. Um, wait, what's his name? Why am I blanking on his name? Former Indiana coach. Kevin Wilson? Kevin Wilson, yeah. I almost called him Kevin Allen. But, yeah, Kevin Wilson, another guy with head coaching experience running a Big Ten program. Um, 
he's on the staff as well. So if they can keep those two guys in the fold, that might that might help things. But yeah, I mean, uh, this might be really, really, really insulting to Coach Day, but he reminds me a tad of when the old ball coach gave program over to Ron Zook. Ooh, the Zucker. Where um, he had a whole lot of experience, but none of it was as a college head coach. And I think Zook just kind of assumed, well, the Florida brand sells itself. And that kind of worked for about 15 games. Yeah, I was going to say about two seasons. And then it was kind of like, okay, we want to get this guy out of our program. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you can also see some shades of West Virginia with Bill Stewart. Mm. Another guy. Really, really good position coach. Really, really good offensive mind. He he, uh, was, you know, an offensive coach for many, many years. And you saw West Virginia run a pretty good offense while he was there. But it just wasn't the same. Yeah. And the recruiting kind of wasn't as good. The fine-tuning during the week of practice wasn't as good. The teams got a little bit more sloppy, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of that can just be traced to it's really freaking hard to have your very, very, very first gig be a major football program. And the flip side of that, though, is Lincoln Riley. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, Lincoln Riley is only there for his second year, dude. Like, let's see see Lincoln. He's doing this with Stoops' players. He's doing this in his 8th, 10th, 11th year. Holy crap. Like, home run higher. But it's, you know, we saw Brett Bielema win right away with Barry's players. Barry's players. And then the product fell off, and everyone was like, Jesus, this coach isn't very good. And then... Bielema kind but, of figured they, out. They also gave him enough time to figure it out. I know. Like, Bielema had those few years, those kind of off years to realize, okay, this is how I need to run my program, and he built that thing back up. Mm-hmm. Well, State's not going to have that patience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if Day goes out in a year and loses to Michigan, his seat's going to be quite warm because it's just that simple. So, I mean, Day could be a home run hire, but, like, he's young. He's unproven, and he's, you know, it's not like going from a position coordinatorship to, like, a good Mac program. You're going to the CEO of Apple fresh out of business school. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Well, there is one other coaching position that was filled in the Big Ten this week. We'll talk about uh, Mel Tucker going to Colorado, Will Healy to Charlotte, and any other coaching moves uh, with our own coach uh, next yeah, show. Co- I think Coach wants to talk at least about one of those. Well, yeah, he's, he'll <laughs> definitely have thoughts on Mel Tucker. So, But uh, while it's still fresh in the news, we need to talk about Mike Loxley, who is a new <laughs> offensive uh, – who was, who was the uh, former offensive coordinator of Maryland, now the head coach – but Josh, he has, uh, shall we say, a bit of a checkered past. Yeah, I mean, especially for a program that just got rid of a coach for letting a student die on his watch, to hire Loxley, who punched was, an assistant. Yeah, not the best look. No, and look, Maryland people love him. He's got ties to the Frigian era. He was a big recruiting chip that they had, and they feel like he's just going to dominate recruiting the Eastern Seaboard. Um, His recruiting classes with 
Randy Edsel were actually worse than what DJ Durkin had done. So even there, recruiting-wise, they're honestly taking a step back from the previous regime. So that's kind of a red flag. The altercation with the sideline, um, there's kind of a weird, questionable thing where uh, there was a 19-year-old drunk driving Loxley's car, and like, what? Like, that was kind of weird. It was, I believe, a friend of his son. That's Um, correct. Yeah. Um, And his time at New Mexico was an abject failure. He was 2-26. and and 2-15. But Josh, he just went to the Nick Saban's finishing school for coaches. Okay, well, how's, let's see, um... Like Florida Atlantic, how's their how are they doing in year two? Mm, not so hot. Yeah. Also, how, did you see how he was as an interim at Maryland last time he was there? Yeah, he was one in five. That's correct. So yeah, Maryland fans and their blogs are going crazy because they love this guy, and I think they're wearing some tortoiseshell glasses and they're not really seeing things properly because to those of us that are outsiders of the program, look at this guy's resume and going, like, really? He's a terrible coach. Yeah, and he's been on Saban's staff. Um, let's see. A he's been Saban's staff for th- uh, for this was his third three? season there. This was his third season. Okay, but he, the first season he was an offensive assistant, which is uh, nothing a generic term. Yeah, that's nothing. And yeah. then two years of offensive coordinator. Correct. Okay, so, wow, he's gotten to – he's proven he can be a good offensive coordinator with one of the best quarterbacks in college football right now. Wow, that's really impressive. Uh, you know who also put up some good numbers as an offensive coordinator for Nick Saban? Steve Sarkeesian. Mm. Lane Yeah, um, uh, I think Maryland's going to be looking for another coach in four or five years. Well, maybe Urban Meyer will be, will be available then. <laughs> uh, I I just – I'm not seeing this Loxley thing working. Nor am I. All right. Well, let's then move on and talk about the FCS playoffs because we are headed into the quarterfinals this weekend. We've got – Four fantastic matchups, four matchups of the of the eight-seeded teams. There were no upsets last weekend. All the home teams won. So uh, we'll start with the first game on the docket this weekend. That is Friday night. Maine taking on Weber State. Josh, you and I both love Maine in, in this tournament, and they are coming off of a walloping of – perennial power Jacksonville State. They beat them 55-27 to last weekend, but they'll have to head on the road to Ogden, Utah to face a Weaver State squad that beat Southeast Missouri State handily 48-23. to Now, Josh, I know you're going to pick me in this one because we did when we <laughs> previewed the bracket, but uh, what makes you think that Maine will be able to win? Well, they're coming in red hot. I mean, you talked about how they just trashed Jacksonville State. That's a team that routinely makes good runs in this tournament. And Chris Ferguson, five touchdowns, he sliced and diced them. And then Ramon Jefferson, he ran for a career high, buck 86 in that game. Uh, you kind of feel like they are peaking at the right time. And I guess if there's any reservation you're going to have about Maine is that in that stacked colonial, they didn't actually play James Madison or Delaware, the two teams that finished right there with them. Mm-hmm. So so you can kind of use that as, well, maybe Maine's not as good, but here's the problem. Weber State has the same critique because Eastern Washington and UC Davis finished also at 7-1 and one in the Big Sky Conference, and Weber State didn't play either of them. So, you know, Weber State's the home team, yeah, but I just think this – Main team is super hot. They're coming in confident. Uh, I just talked about the game that they really picked them apart. And then 
looking at Weber State's uh, lone loss to an FCS team, they also lost to Utah, but I don't don't really count that for no. handicapping them. And so I was looking at that Northern Arizona game, and the thing that immediately stood out to me is Northern Illinois had success through the air, 18-35, 228 yards, uh, no touchdowns, two picks, but they still won the game. So I think if Ferguson continues – to play well and Maine can remain balanced. I mean, they can score in a hurry. We talked about the 55 points they just put up on Jacksonville state. They've had a bunch of other games in the high Mm thirties. So I just think that black bear offense, when they're balanced, it's really scary. They were the best team in the best conference this year. And I think that has to mean something. Even if they didn't play James Madison, even if they didn't play Delaware, they still played Towson and Elon and a bunch of other Stony Brook and all. They beat those teams, and those teams were all in the tournament. You know, so they have played one of the toughest schedules in the country. They looked, you know, very good. They beat a New Hampshire team that was really good at the beginning of the year. They beat an FBS team, given Western Kentucky this year was about as bad as it gets. <laughs> Still, um, they held Central Michigan, another another FBS team, to only 17 points. They lost that one uh, against the Chips. But nonetheless, you know, uh, still a very good showing for their defense. And, you know, th- they gave up a couple points to Rhode Island. They gave up a couple points to Towson. But, you know, for the most part, they can they can get it done on both sides of the ball. And I like their balance enough. And I just, I want to believe in a team from New England. I really do. So, uh, you know, obviously I'm going to be picking Maine in this one as well. Uh, next, uh, first game on Saturday, uh, it is North Dakota State versus Colgate. Josh, this is probably the matchup that I am most intrigued by this weekend, even though, even though um, we know that North Dakota State is number one with a bullet here in FCS. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, should we even talk about North Dakota State? I mean, we, you What's can go on and on about uh, – uh, They're, they're 12-0. Really good quarterback. Like, Yeah, they're, they're 12-0, 8-0 in conference, the Missouri Valley Football Conference. Uh, I know the Colonial got some more teams in than the MVFC this year, but more often than not, the Missouri Valley is the best conference. And mm-hmm. uh, within their league play, they – beat South Dakota State, a really good team who's still alive in the tournament. They beat Northern Iowa at the Dome, uh, who had a kind of a nice run. Um, it ended in a nail-biter last week. Uh, they absolutely smoked Cal Poly, um, a team that's usually at least competent in the non-conference. Um, I, think, I think FBS teams are getting wise because – this is one of the few years that Bison did not get to pick off. They didn't have anybody scheduled. They also smoked Delaware, team from that good colonial. So I, there's not too much to talk about North Dakota State. So you got to look at Holgate. What can they do to win this game? And I'm seeing a lot of zeros. And these are good zeros. Yes, very good zeros. These are zeros of beating Lafayette, 45-0. This is a zero beating William & Mary, 23-0. This is a zero beating Cornell, 31-0. Beating Georgetown, 38-0. Fordham, 41-0. They also held several other teams under seven points. So Colgate went 10-1, 6-0. They got it done with some delicious, delicious defense. Their only loss on the season was at Army, and they were in that one until the yeah. bitter end. Yeah, they were. And I don't know if you any, you watched that game. That Colgate defense can play. I mean, they held the Scarlet Knights. I want to say held them to 28 because for the most part, Scarlet Knights, Black Knights to 28 points. And most of that was at, you know, right at the end of the game. They were in it uh, all the way into the end. And there was one defensive touchdown that they scored that it was one of the hardest hits I have seen in a very long time by their middle linebacker just absolutely lit up the army running back. Yeah, I mean they they're a phenomenal defense and and you know what I don't think that they are because they have that, you know, they have that defensive edge, they're not going to back down from a physical North Dakota State team like a lot of, you know, your typical Eastern Washington or Weber State would. Yeah, the the one reservation you have to have and 
it's really unfair to do this because you can only play the people on your schedule. But mm. the Patriot League, everyone else was under 500 for the year. Holy Cross, Georgetown, they finished tied for second. They both went four and two in conference, just five and six overall. Yeah, they play amazing defense. And against Army, it shined. Against New Hampshire, it shined. But can it hold up against the Missouri Valley Football Conference, the cream of the absolute crop? I know Colgate's defense can hang around, but it just, to me, it feels like the Northwestern Ohio State matchup. Mm. I think think Colgate can make it a dirty game, and I mean that in a complimentary way, obviously. Um, So I think Colgate can kind of grind it, turn it into a, a slugfest, but I just I, – I don't know if Colgate can hang up for four quarters on slot with the Bison. But, hey, that's why we play the games. And I feel like running away from North Dakota State with some of the high-powered offenses that have failed to beat the Bison, maybe having just a damn good smash-mouth defense will prove to be the successful way to beat them. I don't know. You know, every other way has failed. So, you know. That's the fact. Every other way has failed. And if there's – if there is a defense in FCS football that can do it, it's Colgate. So. Yeah. I am curious. It's an 11 o'clock start. Um, Maybe North Dakota State, a little sleepy. They're used to playing the 3 o'clock game. They're used to kind of getting the prime time of the FCS. Uh, Yeah. Maybe that'll – We'll see. It's going to be loud in the Fargo Dome, though. Yeah. We can guarantee that. All right. Well, let's head down then to Kennesaw, Georgia. Kennesaw State uh, will be hosting South Dakota State. Uh, Kennesaw State was squeaked by Wofford last weekend, 13-10. Yeah, but on the other hand, South Dakota State, Jackrabbits, they put the biggest beatdown of the weekend on Duquesne, 51 to six. I mean, this one was over before it started. So two teams coming off of very, very different games last weekend. Josh, uh, who do you like here? I know you're a fan of the Jackrabbits. Yeah, I am going to take the Jackrabbits. Um, you know, Kennesaw State, the Big South didn't have a banner year. Charleston Southern, who's usually a pretty reliable program down there, they had a pretty down season. Um, it also featured Presbyterian, one of the worst teams in FCS, was in that conference. Um, they had Campbell, who is like transitioning. They're like they, their official conference standing was zero and zero. When you said Campbell, I immediately thought of the Campbell Conference <laughs> on the old NHL. Nice. Uh, so Kansas State, they, they took advantage of kind of a influx Big South to get here, but I think you saw maybe some of the issues they had. Um, They needed five overtimes, for instance, to beat Jacksonville State, a team that we just talked about, Maine, waxing. Um, They barely escaped Wofford. So against non-Big South teams, they're not quite having the same level of success. And South Dakota State, they're not afraid of anybody. They're in that Missouri Valley Football Conference uh, they had one hiccup at UNI, but the Unity Dome can get loud. Cedar Falls is a pretty good environment. UNI also pretty darn good team most years, and again, they showed it again. They made it to the second round this year. Yeah, I mean, a strange season for UNI going seven and six, but they won five conference games, got to the tournament as an at-large bid, and then South Dakota State they went to the Fargo Dome hung with North Dakota State all game. They only lost 21-17. So the Jackrabbits, uh, I think if it wasn't for this Bison dynasty, yeah, the Jackrabbits would have won several Missouri Valley football conference titles. They might have even won an FCS title or two. Jackrabbits are one hell of a program. Um, I know the game is at Kennesaw State. That's probably the best thing in the favor for the Owls. It's a long trip down there to Georgia from South Dakota. But uh, Jackrabbits, better team. Playing a little bit better ball here as of late. I expect them to win. Yeah, I know Coach at Kennesaw State in his bracket. Obviously, he's a, a homer for any school in the state of Georgia. And, you know, the reason behind that is because they have that phenomenal rushing offense. 
Yeah. And, you know, if you're going to beat South Dakota State, the way to do it is going to be to hold the ball. And obviously, though, at the same time, South Dakota State, pretty good defense as well. I think this might be the closest matchup of the weekend. It's either that one or the, uh, our last matchup, which is UC Davis Eastern Washington. Uh, that is, uh, you know, uh, here in the national quarterfinals, a, a game between Big Sky foes. And, you know, both of these teams, uh, you know, had excellent, excellent seasons so far. They're both 10 and 2. Uh, they both finished 7 and 1 in the Big Sky. But during the regular season, Josh, uh, these two teams uh, met up in Ruse Field in Cheney. Yeah, in the red turf, and UC Davis got smoked. So they will be looking yeah, for close. revenge in this game. But again, it's on uh, it's on the Inferno. So do you think Eastern Washington, because of that home field advantage, will step out with the win? I think that's a big aspect for it. I think the other aspect is uh, UC Davis probably overachieved this year. We're kind of waiting for the end of the line for this team. Uh, they got a share of their first Big Sky title, um, I think, ever in program history. That's correct. This year. So uh, that was an achievement. It it takes baby steps to build a program, especially in the FCS. You rarely see teams just, like, explode out of nowhere. Even North Dakota State, if you look at it, they had some years where they were making the playoffs but didn't break through for a title. Davis is kind of in that stage. They're building their program. They got to share the conference title. They've had a nice run in the playoffs. But Eastern Washington is a program with national title aspirations. And that's just where they're at. They're at a little bit different plane. Um, Washington, Eastern Washington had a phenomenal season. They were a narrow eight-point loss at Weber State away from winning this conference outright. So I just think Eastern Washington's the better team and turning around a 59 to 20 defeat from just a few weeks ago. That's, that's tough stuff to do. That's true. That's true. However, if there is a team that is going to be able to score with, uh, with Eastern Washington, it's Davis. And while they only put up 20 points last time, they were third in the FCS this year in passing yards in, they're not afraid to put it up in the air. They had 35 touchdowns through the air, average over 11 yards uh, per completion, and, um, you know, better than seven yards per attempt, which, you know, not bad. They're putting up a ton. They are going air raid all the way as well. But, I mean, you know, Josh, they're fighting fire with fire. Yeah, I, I just feel like uh, even a track meet favors Eastern Washington. This is a team that hit the 70 mark twice this year. They hit half a hundred several other times. Uh, Eastern Washington Washington would love a track meet. Yeah, they definitely would. They definitely would. All right. Well, Josh, before we get to our preview of the 119th Army-Navy game, even without the coach, I'm still quizzing you. So bring it on. uh, Let's do it. Well, speaking of Army-Navy, they were numbers two and three in the country this year in total, uh, sorry, rushing yards per game. Now, Josh, your job, is they both average over 300 uh, yards a game. But your job is to tell me the other 15 teams that averaged at least 230 yards per game. All right, 230. Well, I think this should be easy. I, uh, I'm i hoping it is. Yeah, because I'm, I'm going to go with the other option teams first. I'm going to go with Georgia Tech and Air Force. Correct. Georgia Tech number one, Air Force number five. Yeah, I'm going to go with a guy who will be talking quite a lot about when we do our award show, which is Mr. Daryl Henderson down there at Memphis. Number four in the country. Yeah. Uh, then now, there's you've a, got the, now you've got the top five. Yeah. Then there's another option team that we sometimes forget about, but they run the option damn well. They won nine or ten games this year. How about those Georgia Southern Eagles? Uh, they were nine and three this year, and they are number nine on the list. Yeah. Uh, there's another team from the same conference. They don't run the triple option, but they run the ball scary good they remind me of some of elama's teams and that's appy state they run the ball really freaking well appalachian state 241 yards per game this year well done they're number 15 
Yeah. And then this one should be the last one because I was looking at some stats for the blog and Maryland is right at about 230. 230.2 is correct. So they uh, are 17th in the last team in over 230. So after that, it gets a little bit tricky. So I'm going to say that the Badgers still did it, even though it was a little bit of a herky-jerky season. They were still finished at number seven in the country, 268.4 yards per game, mostly because of uh, Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. Uh, this way also sound like a weird one, but it helps when you run a Big Ten blog. Illinois' offense was really freaking good running the ball. I think they were at about 240. 243 per game. Well done. Yeah. And now I'm going to be scraping some teams. I will tell you, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams left. Got seven teams left. Okay. I am going to go with the ACC's best running back. I'm going to go Travis Etienne. And please tell me Clemson is one of the teams that did it. 260 yards per game. Good for 10th in the country. Nice. Uh, this might be a little bit of a reach. They are not as good an option team as the others, but they do have a lot of option fundamentals. How about Willie Fritz's two-lane team? Two-lane. Uh, sorry, Josh. That is your first strike today. Okay. Uh, they had 208 yards per game. All right. Okay. So we got to dial it back a little bit. Let's um, there. I, I will say there are, I don't believe there are any other option teams on this list. No, I don't think there are either. I don't All think right. are in college football, so. All right. Well, hmm. I mean, they put up about 500 or 600 yards per game. So a lot of that has to be on the legs of people like Kyler Murray. I'm going to say Oklahoma's in this group. 254 yards per game. Good for 11th. All right. How many do I have left? Uh, you now have, uh, you should have six left. Six left. Okay. I believe. Let me double count that. One, two, three, four. Yep, six. Six left. Okay. Um. Let's see. Let's see. A little bit of a reach maybe, but they had a highly mobile quarterback and not a whole lot around him. How about the boys from Stark Vegas? Oh, Mississippi State just short. They were at 226 per game. Ow. Just short. They were 21st. Okay. All right. Well, I was saving them a little bit as a parachute for myself. But I'm going to go with my second-ranked team in the country because they are phenomenal at everything they choose to do and go with Central Florida. That's correct. They were number six in the country this year, 276 and a half yards per game. Dang. All right. Mm, mm. Five left, Josh. You have a match. I'm going to pour one out for coach. Okay. Because I think between Swift and Holyfield, I think Georgia's going to be up there. Excellent choice. 12th in the country. 251.6 251.6 yards per game. Ooh. Is that tops in the SEC? Uh, yes, it is. Nice. The only SEC team uh, that was over 230 this year. Ooh. I think you're about to give me the conferences. Of the yeah, conferences. we've got um, we've got a MAC team left. We've got a CUSA team left. We've got a an American team left, and that is it. I think I know the Mac team because when I was prepping for our show next week, um, the uh, Bobcats of Ohio um, have a quarterback that has ridiculous passing numbers, but then is like third on the team with like 800 rushing yards. Yeah. And then they had two running backs ahead of them that each were like thousand yard backs. Like Ohio's offense is crazy good. Bobcats, 262 yards per game this year. So then I got a Kusa and an American left. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm struggling for the American team because I've already done the quote-unquote obvious ones. Yep. So I think I'm going to set that one aside. The, the Kusa team. Let's we've, already, we've already mentioned them once today just because of their head coach. 
That's too much of a hint. We've only talked about Kiffin and Florida Atlantic. That's correct. Full dis- full disclosure, I was going to go with UAB because their passing numbers weren't amazing, yet they won the whole conference. So I UAB figured they- had 209 yards per game. That would not have been a bad bet, bad guess. They were 28th in the country. Okay. Now the American team, man. Hmm. Let's see. Well, Tulsa's offense was dreadful. Correct. SMU passes the ball too much. Mm-hmm. Already guessed Tulane. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Houston with D.E.R. King. Let me give you that's a hint. A, that's I'm an intriguing one. I'll keep... it's, it's not East Carolina. <laughs> All right, I'm going to keep Houston in the mix. I'm going to keep Houston in the mix. Uh, I've already done Central Florida. Ooh, South Florida. No, South Florida had the, the former Alabama kid. They passed all the time. So I think I'm going to dump out South Florida. It's not going to be ECU. Ooh, Temple. Temple's offense came alive as the season went on. I'll put Temple in the maybe. Cincinnati won a bunch of games. They, so they probably had a good offense. I'll keep Cincinnati in the mix. Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go with D.R. King. I'm going to go with Houston. Oh, so close, Josh. They were 20th in the country, 228 yards per game. You were looking for Cincinnati. Okay. Cincinnati had 238 per game. Um, That UAB team, uh, yeah, they had 208 yards per game. Temple, though, they were only 67th in the country at, you know, a tick under 165 per game. I think they pass a little bit more once they they figure out their quarterback. A lot more uh, Um. Matt Rule left. I'll, t- I'll take that. I no, you did very well, Josh. I think well. I think even my my worst guess was Tulane, right? And they were you said they were still thirtieth. Yep. All right. I, okay. I did all right. I, yeah. well, I I applaud you. That is an A plus plus effort tonight. Yeah, I didn't throw out like Iowa. <laughs> uh, let's see who's the worst. I'm going to bring it up on ESPN. Let's oh, I'll see. tell you who I know who the worst is. It's uh, one of the worst teams in all of college football, San Jose State. Uh, if I were to guess the bottom 10, okay, you already spotted me saying in those states. I'm sure Washington State's in the bottom 10. They are the second worst. Uh, I would wager Hawaii's in the bottom 10. Uh, Hawaii just makes it. They are the 10th worst at 114 a game. Um, he did really good work turning things around a little bit this year in his first season. But, man, Sonny Dykes loves to pass the ball. I watched SMU a few times, and I don't remember them running the ball at all. Uh, SMU 11th worst. <laughs> <laughs> um let's see who else who else oh um uh florida state couldn't do anything this year they're terrible state, fourth from the bottom this year yeah they they one had, yards a game they're like one of the worst power five offensive lines i think i've ever seen mm-hmm. um oh god utap they can't score at all utap is a terrible offense uh utap is actually 15th from the bottom Ooh, okay but there is another team uh in that conference and that state um, Texas State. Oh, no, from the same conference. It would have been uh, San Antonio. Yeah, UTSA, 87 yards a game. Oof. Uh, I think Michigan State's going to be pretty near the bottom of the barrel as well. Michigan State is uh, just uh, just worse than UTEP at 122 a game. So where's LJ Scott going to go in the draft? Uh, it's already declared. Yeah, he's going to go to the Alliance of American Football. <laughs> oh, Ouch. Uh, I wish him the best of luck. He's had an injury-plagued career, but I just I, – I don't think he's what the NFL is looking for. No. No, maybe back in, like, 1982. Um, the rest of the bottom – of the bottom 10, Josh, Akron, New Mexico State, Colorado State, Southern Miss, and perhaps coming into the season, this would have been – you would have smacked me over the head and said I was lying to you if I told you that Stanford would finish in the bottom 10. I mean, I don't feel like doing it right now, but I feel like if we looked at their splits, they probably started out okay when Bryce Love was healthy. Mm-hmm. And then when their offense went, offensive line went to crap and Bryce Love got hurt, they're probably dreadful. But they've won some games here as of late. I would, eight, they finished 8-4. and four. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they picked some things up in game 6-7-8. I just think they were terrible in the middle part of their season. One of the amazing statistics about Washington State is that they were second from the bottom in the country, but they still managed to produce 22 rushing touchdowns. Ooh, that's pretty good. Yeah. 
which, you know, obviously that, that doesn't rank up there with, you know, a Clemson or a Memphis or a Georgia Tech, all of whom scored more than 45. Uh, now that I got it up, Iowa Hawkeyes, 76th. Everyone says that they are a run-oriented team. So well, throwing that out there. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's stick with some run-oriented teams. Uh, the Army-Navy game, Josh, like I mentioned, 119th meeting this weekend. It's being played at the link in Philadelphia, and it is going to be a brisk day, uh, game time kickoff around 38 degrees, maybe a little blustery. Uh, the game might be over, I don't know, how long is halftime? 10 minutes? You get 10 minutes for halftime plus a couple commercial breaks. I think this game's over in about 84 minutes. <laughs> uh, it could be. I mean, it'll be moving. It'll be moving along, to say the least. But I would. I, I think it'd be hilarious if Navy just said "screw it" and came out in five wides. <laughs> I, I think it's going to be an interesting game, and this is not just us trying to hype it up because that's what everyone does. I know we love to wrap ourselves around the flag for this game and and make it seem like it's God's the gift to football is America. Um, but I think it's a really intriguing game this year because. Army is nationally ranked. They're nine and two. They are. They looked better against Oklahoma than pretty much pretty much anyone else. Yeah, I mean they are. They're having a dream season, and they haven't been in this position of coming into this game with overwhelming favorites. They've won two in a row, but. The one in 2016 was the breakthrough. That was the big upset over a nationally ranked Navy team. And then last year, Navy's quarterback got hurt, and it was just it was a slop fest. Navy had felt like a million turnovers. Mm-hmm. And Army held on by the skin of their teeth to win 14-13. So Army, for the first time in a long, long time, probably since the 96 team when they were nationally ranked, and managed to hold off our Navy 28-24. So probably for the first time really since that 96 team, Army is nationally ranked and the big overwhelming favorites. And it's just, only, I was surprised that they're only a seven-point favorite in Vegas. I feel like with option teams and not a lot of scoring and potentially terrible weather in Philadelphia this time of year, I feel like neutral site seven points is still pretty big. Mm-hmm. Um. But anyway, I just it's going to take a lot for Army to, you know, internalize all this pressure because Navy Navy's playing with house money. Navy doesn't care. This is their bowl game. They're eliminated from a bowl. They're 3 and 9. They're having their worst year in a long 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 time. Spoiling Army season would just put a nice bow on these seniors' career despite having such a down season. The concern, though, is obviously Navy's three and nine for a reason. And you look at their games against teams that run similar stuff to Army, and well, they got blown out by Air Force. <laughs> they lost thirty-five to seven. This thing wasn't close. So Navy, yeah, Navy's not a hard luck. Three and nine team. They sure they had some narrow losses. They had a couple one point losses. They also had a bunch of clunkers. They lost to Cincinnati forty two nothing. They lost to Air Force by a heavy dose. They gave up sixty points almost to Hawaii. So sure, you flip a few of those one possession games. Navy still what five and. Six coming in this game? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But even then, like, what really worries me is Navy's defense. I mean, they have been porous this year. Yeah, they're not a good defense. Even up 35 points a game. It's it's not good. And part of that, obviously, for them is that we're so used to a Navy team that is just such a ball control offense is holding the ball for 35, 40 minutes a game that the other team just doesn't have enough chances to score, but because their offense has just not clicked this year, like it has in years past, it's, you know, the other teams are getting way more opportunities and just with having the smaller players on the field, they're just getting worn down by bigger, more physical teams. 
Yeah, and then on the flip side, Army, we can talk about the triple option as much as we want. With their defense, I'm not even sure it matters what offense they run. Their defense is allowing under 19 points per game. It's a really good defense. And the most points they gave up this year um, was to Duke, who is actually a really good team when you break down Duke's resume. And their second most points they gave up this year was to Oklahoma. So, I mean, this is one heck of a fine defense. So, I take that back. They gave up 30 points for my Ohio. Their most was Duke. Their second most was my Ohio. Their third most was Oklahoma. I I pardoned myself, Matt. Had that stat wrong. But the, the point is Army's defense is really, really good. And, you know, I got Army all the way up to 16th in my poll for a reason. They beat Hawaii. They're going to a bowl. They smoked Buffalo. They're going to a bowl. They beat Miami of Ohio, who was a 6-6 six and six non-bowl invited team, but a bowl eligible team. They beat Eastern Michigan by two touchdowns. They're going to a bowl. They beat their rival, Air Force. That's never easy to do. I know Air Force kind of had an erratic season, but that's still a rivalry game. They won that one. And then they beat that Colgate team that we just talked about ad nauseum. So this Army team, they're 9-2. and two, They're ranked for a reason. They've, they've beaten some quality teams. And I know the names on the jerseys aren't, like, the super most impressive teams to outside people. But for those of us who really follow sport and listen to a podcast routinely, they're going to recognize that and go, oh, wait, Buffalo was a good team. Oh, wait, you know, Eastern Michigan did some good things this year. Like, those are quality wins. think you're muted, Matt. Yes, I was. I'm very sorry. Yeah, for the first time in a long time, we can really say that Army is pretty much definitively the better team coming into the game. And that is a flip of the script from the last 20 years. So it's going to be, you know, it, it's going to be a great game. It always is. We know it's going to be close. Even though it seems like on paper Army should blow them out, we know it's going to come down to a one-possession game there in the fourth quarter. So... I know I'll be glued to my my couch on Saturday watching both the FCS and Army Navy. You know, not a ton of football on, but the games that are are on are going to be really really good. So, no, and it's it's a really nice appetizer for the bowl mania that starts coming up December fifteenth. So be on the lookout for our bowl shows. Um, just kind of teasing stuff, Matt. I know we're going to be doing a whole bunch of spectaculars, but I was looking at the first slate of bowl games on December 15th. Go on. And how about this for a very, very intriguing appetizer of a bowl game? The Las Vegas Bowl always has the Mountain West champion versus kind of a so-so Pac-12 team. Fresno State and Arizona State. Ooh. I like be, that. That could be interesting. Those are two really good defensive teams. And it's Squaring La- Las Vegas drivable for both schools. Yeah. And Fresno, you know, they, they're they not getting to play in a super high bowl game. They're not in that elite level of the group of five. Maybe they want to wax a team to feel good about themselves. I don't know. That, that one caught my eye of some early bowl games, so that's a little teaser right there. Yeah, no, I, I can't. I can't bury any leads. We're out of leads to bury until Arkansas does something stupid in the next ten minutes. Well, I'm. Uh, I have no doubt that between now and the time we record our next show, that they will. So until then, on behalf of Josh Cook, no coach tonight. He'll no be coach. Back time is it a banquet? What, what was the banquet for? Uh, it was a it was a football banquet. He's he has like four of them this week. Mm. So I know he had the Hume banquet uh, yesterday. I want to say it was a luncheon. Ooh, uh, tonight lunch, I, luncheons. Uh, that's pretty cheap for a banquet. Uh, luncheon at Sweats, uh, home style uh, meet and three in Nashville. Though mm. you're you're not getting much better than that, my friend. Mm. 
so but he, he's at a banquet at the millennium maxwell hotel tonight uh, i believe yeah. it's the either all all city or all district or all county uh banquet his quarterback obviously uh, has won many many awards this year so we are uh you know as friends of coach we are very proud of hale page um, and the honors that he is getting as uh the top passer in the state of tennessee this year so, um, but yeah, so on, uh, without coach, but on behalf of our intrepid blogger from Big Ten Accounting, Josh Cook up there in the Windy City, this is the professor in the Music City saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.